the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Many of you know that I am an avid reader. And believe me, not just books about spirituality and theology. That's what I read for a living. But I like to read a lot of different types of books. Mysteries, spy stories, historical novels, just straight up history. It's just a lifelong love. So it may not be a surprise that one of my favorite sections of the newspaper is the book section. A few months ago, I took a glance at the bestseller list, and especially what was selling in nonfiction, and let me read to you a few of those titles, um, in fact, six of them. Number one, Life Force, how new breaking thoughts and precision medicine can transform the quality of your life and those you love. Number three, living fully, dare to step into your most vibrant life. Number four, Atlas of the Heart, mapping meaningful connections in the language of human experience. Number seven, the way of integrity, finding the path to your true self. Um, number eight, unstoppable, how I found my strength through love and loss. And number 10, how to be perfect, the correct answer to every moral question. <laughs> so I thought this was rather a remarkable list, so I tucked it away. And this week when I was preparing for my sermon on Galatians 6, I'm going to only preach about Galatians 6 today. Um, I could talk to you for two hours how the gospel reading fits in with Gal Galatians 6, but we're just going to stick to Galatians 6. Um, I think it's actually the easier text. <laughs> um, so I took it out and I thought how different all these books are from Paul's letter to the Galatians. What is remarkable to me about this list goes beyond typical self-help books. These are books whose titles want to entice readers to believe that within the pages of these books, one will learn how to improve upon human existence so that one can live a vibrant life by finding your true self and learning how to make true human connections as well as having the ability to achieve moral perfection. Surely then, if you read all these books, you can set yourselves apart from all those poor people who failed to. I think a parallel can be drawn between these authors, or at least the titles of their books, and Paul's opposition in the churches in Galatia. For this group, whom we've labeled the Judaizers, their identity lay in their belief that they also were God's chosen people, and the way to maintain that status was to follow a prescribed plan of laws, practices, and feast days. They had the one book and the one way and if they followed that plan, these practices set them apart from all the other people of the world that they might also even achieve perfection in God's eyes. But here's the problem. Doesn't that sound a little bit like Christians too? Don't we also think we have a book that shows me how to be a good person, how to be special, how to be the best? In the words of one commentator, all religions and every practice of religion, and in fact, all of human life, is in danger of being marshaled into the service of the human ego. But Paul's admonitions to the Galatians in our passage today reflect how our book 
the Bible, was never intended to be a prescriptive self-help manual. For Paul, rather, the scriptures and the life of Christ teach that to gain one's life, one must lose it. For Paul, the Christian life is not living a formula for success, but living a life of self-abandon to Christ's love and trust in his spirit to give us the grace to reflect that love in our lives. It begins and ends with Jesus, not ourselves, what he has done and his invitation to each of us through his spirit to be fellow laborers in the gospel. So let's take a closer look at chapter six of Galatians to understand these two divergent approaches to living. Chapter six of Galatians is actually my favorite chapter because in it, Paul explains everything that he was trying to say to the Galatians in his letter. But he also provides concrete examples of what it means to live as a member of a community that is guided by the Spirit's law of love. So briefly in Galatians, Paul is confronting the Galatians for allowing a group of false teachers to infiltrate their community causing them to require Gentile converts to become circumcised. In other words, for these new Gentile believers, in order to really become a Christian, you needed to also first become a Jew and follow their laws about what to eat, who you can eat with, whose house you can go to. In other words, they were telling these people that to be a child of God, you must obey the special laws that set us apart from everyone else in the world. It is a misnomer to think that Jews thought that they could obey these laws perfectly to gain salvation. They understood that through their sacrificial system, they could receive forgiveness. But what mattered to them was they already knew they were the people of God. What mattered to them was that these laws set them apart. It was a showing of the flesh. In other words, the message of salvation in Christ alone was being perverted to a message of, come join our group. This is like telling a new convert that now they are, new, they, they are a Christian, they need to dress differently, they need to vote differently, or they need to become a Protestant if they're a Roman Catholic, or if they're a Roman Catholic, they need to become a, uh, or the other way around. They may need to, but that's a matter of God's leading. That's a matter of God's leading, not some cookie cutter formula for what it looks like to be a Christian. This is subtle, and we should not kid ourselves. The Christian church has provided markers over the century to convince people that they are now in and others are out. But the message of Galatians is not, on the other hand, that we can live any way that we think feels good to us under God's grace. Rather, Paul is saying that we need to be on guard against transforming the gospel into anything other than salvation in Christ alone, or that is, we need to reject any system, anyone who says that in order to be in Christ, there needs to be something else plus. The Galatians failed to understand that in Christ's death and resurrection, the new creation of Christ's kingdom had arrived, and the era of compliance to those laws that set their people apart as God had ended. God was no longer working through one nation. 
Jesus Christ procured the salvation of all people. In that famous passage from Galatians 3, Paul proclaims, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity is in Christ, not something else. It isn't, it isn't that I see this all the time in the church now. I see people forming new churches because they think they have a special gospel that no one else has. Paul could have also said there is no Democrat or no Republican. There is no Pentecostal, Pentecostal and no com contemplative. We are all one in Christ. So the Galatians failed to understand that in Christ's death and resurrection, the new, excuse me, I'm sorry, Paul's message was simple. Any works that are done to usurp the grace that Christ has gained for us are in vain, and anyone who wants to build walls between those who believe in Christ are against Christ, and whatever practices that diminish our dependence on the Holy Spirit are to be rejected. Instead, holiness can come only through the transformation of the Spirit in our lives, which will be expressed and characterized by love and gentleness. So when I became a Christian 47 years ago, there were a lot more rules than there are today. And I struggled personally with the idea that I needed to conform myself to some idea that I had of what a true Christian looks like. I did some really radical things. I had long red hair that almost reached my waist, so I cut it all off, even shorter than it is now, because that was pride, because I was so desperate to show people who I was on the inside. I was desperate to show them that on the outside, when all I needed to do was be that new creation that God had given me on the inside. I didn't need to prove it to anyone. So I think that we often want to make our accept, ourselves acceptable to people rather than to God. And you might say that the church has come a long way since then. We are no longer legalistic about things like playing cards or going to the movies or drinking alcohol. But the contemporary evangelical movement is not off the hook. In the name of avoiding legalism, we are caught up in a Christian liberty that embraces self-seeking individualism and a lack of any accountability in the church. We have become even gun-shy of teaching classic disciplines such as reading the scriptures and daily prayer, lest that be seen as legalism. But that is not what Paul is saying in Galatians. He is not saying that the law that Jesus came to fulfill is wrong but that the reason the Jews are requiring the Gentiles to follow it are. Nothing in our Christian life should be done to gain Christ's love. We cannot have any checklists that make us acceptable to God. But here is a subtlety. In the midst of this chapter, Paul, having argued for the grace and freedom in the life of the Christian, all of a sudden he turns around and warns against sowing that which will result in the corruption of the soul. Paul's warning does not contradict his claims of sufficiency of Christ's grace. He is simply saying that our actions, our habits, 
have natural consequences. Paul offers the way of love to counter the way of performance, a reliance on the spirit and not on ourselves. But that is so hard to do because we are human. How can we rely on the spirit if we don't give him space in our busy lives to grow in our hearts? How can we follow Christ's example if we are not reminding ourselves of how he lived by reading his word? And evangelicals have taken what they call quiet time and turned it into a law. But that doesn't mean that the law is bad. It just means that we're doing it often for the wrong reasons. So every time you come to your Bible or come to pray, tell God why you are here. Say to God, I'm here, God, because I know you love me, and I want to receive that love. I'm not trying to prove to you that I'm a good Christian. So Paul is not preaching, do whatever feels right. Instead, he is preaching, listen to and follow the spirit of love. When Paul speaks of living in the flesh, he's not talking about living in our human bodies. It's such a misunderstanding. He's talking about living a life that doesn't depend on the spirit. Scott McKnight calls this spirit living as opposed to merit living. And I think that's a really wonderful parallelism there, spirit living rather than merit-seeking living. As Paul concludes his letter, a long plea for walking in the freedom of the spirit, he emphasizes that freedom in Christ brings an awareness of our responsibility for the welfare of others, especially for the family of faith. He speaks of the need for accountability in the Christian community, speaking to the need of restoration of those who have transgressed, but that it be brought about in gentleness and in the spirit of humility. Once again, he's going back to the spirit. In other words, our job is to help each other listen to the spirit of God. And when we do this, we do not ever judge ourselves any better. That is, in fact, if we become proud, we too will fall, and it shows. May I never boast of anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The new creation is everything. So the message of our Christian manual for the abundant life is very different than those that appear on the bestseller list. Life in the spirit means that we are not cookie cutters of each other, thank God, and that we find our true identity in Christ. It means we cannot understand the book if we do not have a relationship with its author. Faith is different than a self-help manual. Faith is trusting that God alone can and is transforming us into the image of his son so that we can come to know his glorious love. Be comforted, my people. Share that love with each other. Amen.